Thanks for listening to this audio from Nesta Education 2019, Shaping the Future, Shifting the System. Up next is a keynote speech delivered by Professor Becky Francis, Director of University College London's Institute of Education. Thank you very much for the welcome, and it's lovely to see everyone. Do I have my uh, headline slide? That's brilliant. Um, What I have to do is uh, point out this amazingly um, aspirational title and then warn you that, of course, I'm not actually going to be answering that in my talk today. But I do want to provoke some discussion on it and to contribute to the debate that we'll be having um, later on. And in doing so, I want also to provide some grit to the oyster, because debates aren't very fun without that, are they? Now, some of you will know that my long-standing research has always been focused on social justice in education and analysing social inequalities in education. And you're all aware of the various gaps for gender, for ethnicity, but particularly for social class inequality in the education system. This is an international issue rather than just a national one, but nevertheless, in the UK, we see uh, one of the closest correlations in the world between family wealth and educational outcomes. And mapped onto that, we have this very long-standing problematic dichotomy between knowledge and skills, again, an international phenomenon, but particularly characterised in the UK space. Academic, characterised as rigorous, hard, associated with mind. And skills, soft, associated with the body. And of course, power and prestige lodged with the academic root. Now, added to that, in present debates... Uh, we have a sort of exacerbation, I might argue, of that dichotomy um, with some uh, what I would regard as increasing banalities and trite placeholders around 21st century skills, the fourth industrial revolution and so on, uh, looking at the skills agenda, and then traditional approaches uh, looking at the academic. I mean, I must say, colleagues, that elaborated 21st century skills, to me, often sound suspiciously like 20th century skills or even first century skills. Leadership, teamwork, creativity, inquiry, problem solving, and so on and so on. Humanity has always been creative, always problem solved, always been most effective when working together. This is the brilliant, generative, collaborative approach that humanity takes. Nevertheless, I'm perfectly aware and recognise that we are changing at an eye-watering rate. Digitalisation and machine learning is indeed providing societies with both new opportunities and new challenges. And of course, our UCL Knowledge Lab is engaging absolutely at the cutting edge of these debates around uh, how edtech could potentially better support our education system. 
I was struck by a new course um, being advertised by our uh, Bartlett School of Architecture at UCL, which is a course on off-world living. And I think that brilliantly exemplifies uh, both the creativity of humanity that I've been talking about, but also the rapidity of change and some of the issues we may be focus focusing on in the near future. So there are two key issues that I want to focus on within this context. One is the curriculum, and the second is the challenge to avoid growing social inequality. And I'm going to interweave uh, both in my talk. So first of all, thinking about the curriculum, there are positives to the knowledge turn in the English education policy. All children should have access to the best that's been thought and said, however contested that, that concept is and to the intellectual discipline that that can instill. For too many children, for too long, that's been more by accident than design. And I personally supported uh, my then colleague, Alison Wolfe's findings in her 2011 report, which showed that many of the equivalent qualifications, the vocational qualifications, which typically working-class kids were being channeled down to follow and taking up uh, vast chunks of their uh, curriculum in schools were not recognised by employers, not valued by employers. So the very kids that best needed our educational support uh, were having these poor outcomes, um, often, sadly, um, you know, inflating league tables, but not to the benefit of kids. And that's a theme that I'm going to return to. So as I've already hinted, I'm a little sceptical about some of the thinking about the 21st century skills agenda. To my mind, the role of schools is to teach students what they won't learn elsewhere. And this is particularly important for working class kids who can't rely on the social and cultural capital that middle class families often take for granted. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, this is naughty as an academic, I'm resorting to anecdote, but my two teenage sons have been preoccupied hugely with gaming throughout their, uh, their, their teenage lives. Um, they have learned an incredible range of skills through that, leadership, teamwork, incredible resilience, and they can swear fluently in Russian. Well, the, the, these, these are wonderful skills. But they will never learn algebra online. You know, 99.9% .9 of the population will not lead, learn these fundamental elements of, of, of academic discipline uh, online. And I think that's really important for us to remember. So core knowledge does indeed remain fundamental for social mobility. This has been exemplified again and again, often drawing on the cohort studies that we curate at the IOE. Um, they, these are the life, longitudinal life cohorts following kids from birth uh, through to their later uh, mature life which show that it is the high knowledge um, curriculum qualifications that still lead to the best remuneration uh, in later life. But, as usual with zealous policymakers, the pendulum swings too far. 
we know that the English baccalaureate, the EBAC as, as we call it, leaves little space in the curriculum for other subjects. And this has had a crushing impact on music, art and design, areas integral to our culture and our economy and where Britain has often led the way. And also, it's not necessarily beneficial for all kids channeled down it. And as usual, the problem, I would say, lies in our accountability system. I'm going to show you a slide. I'm so sorry that you can't um, see the detail of this, but you will nevertheless have the point conveyed. This is taken from um, my latest report with Professor Merrin Hutchings for the Sutton Trust, analysing the relative success or otherwise of multi-academy trusts for their disadvantaged pupils. It's called Chain Effects, and this is a regular series we publish. Now, what you're seeing in front of you is under each of those clusters of columns, there is a multi-academy trust. You can look this up in the report if you're interested. The blue columns... Uh, show the number of disadvantaged pupils in that multi-academy trust that have been entered for the EBAC. The orange and grey columns show those that succeeded in achieving the EBAC. Now look at those eye-watering disparities, colleagues. And within this, we see an incredible diversity. So, for example, one a famous academy chain entered only just under 20% of disadvantaged pupils for the EBAC, but 13% of those kids achieved a standard pass, which is well above the average of many of these chains. In contrast, another entered 36% to the EBAC with only one4 achieving a standard pass. So if I just leave that hanging and we come back to the question about what is actually benefiting our disadvantaged kids, I think this may exemplify what I've characterised as a pendulum. So what do we then need in a curriculum? I've no doubt we need a broad and balanced curriculum which provides the necessary induction to the foundation disciplines to scaffold later access to the vital interdisciplinary work which is now so necessary to address the world's pressing problems. Included within that core knowledge must be the sciences, the arts and the humanities, but also computing and programming and I suspect that this ought to be further embedded and even mandated, especially for girls. I'm sure I don't need to tell you that there are fewer girls going into computing at university now than was the case 30 years ago. We need to avoid a future where there are those who develop and control technology and those who simply consume or even are manipulated by it. And when discussing the curriculum in these debates, we often forget pedagogy. In my view, good teaching practice that includes a variety of pedagogical methods will provide opportunities to develop skills such as teamwork, leadership, problem solving, and so forth. That's how we do it, I believe. And then there's the character education movement, ever popular with politicians. 
As with so much sloppy placeholder terminology in the present education terrain, this seems to cover and conceal a range of issues and assumptions. Now, on the one hand, we know that there are socioeconomic gaps in non-cognitive as well as cognitive skills. And we know that these differences are more pronounced for this generation than for previous generations. And also, for the time being at least, cognitive skills remain paramount, paramount in explaining later outcomes, as I've said, but non-cognitive skills do correlate with cognitive and later outcomes. But that's not all that's being addressed or assumed in references to character. The prevalent assumption is that as well as resilience and so on, character includes the development of expressions of cultural capital, such as knowing it's important to make eye contact in a job interview. Yet in turn, this diverse range of skills, dispositions and cultural capital are problematically bundled together and referred to as character with the offensive connotation that working-class students are somehow in moral and character deficit, and that, in turn, the private school sector is somehow good at developing character. I think this is really problematic, and I treat this with healthy scepticism. Are we implying that let's say, a, a young disadvantaged boy who is caring for his single parent and his siblings but struggles to work every day, yet doesn't enjoy sport or know to make eye contact with, with employers, is lacking in, in character or even resilience, um, or that a girl placed in low ability, overtly called low ability sets all her life, uh, who then doesn't aspire to go to university, is somehow pro problematically lacking in aspirations. I really want to um, challenge this. I think we've got to get better at recognising a range of strengths, as well as how and why we won't all express those in the same manner. I've seen that I need to speed up, so I'm going to try to um, whiz to a close. Now, Ofsted's reference is to per personal development, an area where it's proposing to take greater interest, and I think this is far better couched. There's no doubt that practically, uh, given employers do want to see evidence of leadership, teamwork, and even eye contact, it's important that kids have equal opportunity to develop this. And this leads me to another aspect of the curriculum that we need to develop especially for preparation of this new terrain. One is ethics, and another is citizenship education, not just the, re the bundle of different sorts of social problems that our citizenship education often characterises today, but rather the urgently needed engagement with different forms of government and governance, our role as citizens in a democracy, and philosophical thinking and discussion on morality and so on. This is urgently needed as the science advances so quickly. We also, of course, need to uh, ring fence time to think. So we shouldn't risk a similar segregation in terms of skills, yet 
we need to be much clearer in our thinking on this topic about our assumption and what counts as valued skills or expressions of character and why, and the way in which ignorance and class background and cultural prejudices may inform our presumptions. Without employers taking concerted efforts to value what people from different backgrounds bring, as opposed to always favouring the middle-class candidate wearing the right shoes, I can see, thank you, um, we won't be able to overcome the educational arms race that will now be increasingly looking at soft skills as well as academic credentials. So we need to think about what's genuinely new in the demands on our curriculum created by rapid technological development. I think it's really important that we hold on to our values of social justice as we do so to ensure developments narrow rather than widen inequalities. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. For more on Nesta's work in education, go to nesta.org.uk forward slash education. If you'd like to hear more from Nesta, why not try Future Curious, Nesta's podcast of bold ideas for curious minds. Subscribe wherever you find your podcasts or see nesta.org.uk forward slash future curious for more.